Welcome to the PEBC podcast. My name is Michelle Jones, and I am the host of our series on phenomenal teaching. This series is a collection of conversations with authors, classroom teachers, education leaders, and staff developers whose work connects with the PEBC teaching framework. In each episode, we explore how the strands of planning, community, workshop, thinking strategies, discourse, and assessment cultivate student agency, equity, and understanding across the curriculum and grade levels. We are proud to announce that Chalkbeat is our first sponsor. Chalkbeat is a nonprofit news organization committed to covering one of America's most important stories, the effort to improve schools for all students. Stay up to date on all of the current events in education at www.chalkbeat.org. Thank you so much for listening in. Today, it is an honor to have a follow-up conversation with Dr. Andra Brill. Andra is an independent education consultant who strives to elevate the necessity of social and emotional learning, equitable literacy practices for all students, and culturally responsive leadership. Andra, thank you so much for joining us today. Michelle, thanks so much for having me. It's great to see you again and be able to talk. I know that we had our last conversation about six weeks ago, and you were a guest on the Phenomenal Teaching Podcast, and really trying to dive into that community aspect of the PEBC teaching framework. And we talked about stress, and we talked about the stress that teachers and families and school leaders and students are feeling, and the impact of that stress not only on their bo- on their bodies, but also on their minds. And, you know, when we were having our conversation, you shared some strategies to help teachers and leaders and parents really set kids up for success. And so those included things like tending to relationships and maintaining those relationships, even in the midst of social distancing and remote learning, Um, having routines in place so everyone knows what to expect when, making sure students and adults have access to relevant work that's meaningful. And we talked a lot about the importance of reflection and being able to reflect on what's going well and how we're feeling and the, and the successes that we're having. So when we think about that time, everyone was dealing with a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety, and that was leading to a lot of stress. Well, now it's late September. Students, teachers, and leaders have all returned to school, and there are still multiple stressors. There's health, social, economic, environmental, political. So I know that you have a lot of touch points in schools with students and teachers and leaders. What are you noticing now? So, you know, I think I think we're experiencing a level of stress that as a society we have never experienced before. Like the people who are alive. I mean, I think, you know, there have been pandemics in the past and there have been world wars and certainly as a society, we felt stress. But for those of us who are actually alive in this moment, all the things that you just named are, are sort of upfront. And so what I'm noticing or what I'm hearing is that people are having good days, like, yeah, everything's fine. And I'm, you know, we're coping and we're one foot in front of the other. And also having days where they're like, oh my God, trying to get out of bed feels like too much today, or I just can't get anything done. And so it seems like there's, there's more on both ends, right? So there are days where we kind of aren't paying attention quite as much to everything going on. And it feels like, no, no, we've got this under control, or maybe we do have it under control, like that's good too. And I think for all of us, there's, 
there's a really big piece that's just completely out of our control. And that is always stressful. Wow. So if we consider that there is really no end in sight right now, because there's just, a, there are so many things happening and, you know, you hear terms like quarantine fatigue or the zoom fatigue, we hear chronic stress. Um, you know, people are talking a lot about low level kind of underlying depression. I know that even Michelle Obama was talking about some depression that she's been experiencing, which I think surprised a lot of people um, that that she would have those same kind of reaction to kind of what's happening in the world right now. I know that there are a lot of scientists beginning to write about the impact of and of our interactions with screens on our actual neuroscience and our bodies. So if we consider this idea of like kind of quarantine fatigue, if you will, or chronic stress, mm-hmm. How do we deal with this for so long? Because it's been a long time. It, it has been a long time. And it, 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 my, my guesstimate is that it's going to continue on for a while. And so what you just said, this idea of like our nervous systems. And again, this is, you know, different people are going to believe different things. But my core belief is that our nervous systems, our brains and the way that our bodies work are actually hardwired for connection. Like we are, human beings are social animals, right? And so we know that community in the classroom is really important. And we know that feeling, we know that like when kids feel safe, their their brains are just more open and available for learning, right? We know all the, the neuroscience about, again, how the amygdala works and what happens when we don't feel safe. And um, there's all of Krashen's work. So we, these are things we know. And then on top of all of this, there's this new phenomenon where many of us are spending hours in front of a screen mm-hmm. and, and screens don't like, our, again, our nervous systems have not evolved. They may, I'm, I'm sure that it's going to be different for my kid than it is for me, her ability to sort of interface on the screen, but our nervous systems weren't actually made to sit in front of a screen and look at a sheet, like a, a screen full of different faces right? Like that's, we weren't meant to do that. And the fact that there's this little lag time, like that also, our nervous system sort of picks up like something's a little bit off here, even though like we're having this lovely conversation, but our nervous system sort of notices, wait, something's not right. And so there's a little bit of activation there. And so the re- part of the reason that we're all exhausted is that we're spending time online, sort of paying attention to things we don't normally pay attention to, being on non-stop like if you're on if your screen is on you're you're on you have to you have to show up which you know for those of us who are used to being in a classroom like usually there's a time where you can like you know kids are working and you can take a breath or like you know th- there isn't that 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 space to take a breath in the same way so lots of zoom fatigue um lots of quarantine fatigue and and i think the chronic stress of not knowing. And you and I had talked a little bit about sort of the decisions that we have to make all like, there's so many decisions, right? Like, is this safe? Is this not safe? Do I want to go here? Do I not want like that? That is exhausting. And the fact that we've been doing it for six months, and that we'll probably do it for at least another six months. Um, yeah, so your question about like, what do we do about it? Yeah, because I, you know, when I'm just listening to you, I'm thinking about you know that idea around all of the extra energy we're expending 
just in order to kind of maintain this kind of regular, like I'm going to school or I'm teaching or I'm going to the grocery store. Like they're, like you said, we're constantly making decisions with all of this stress and this underlying fatigue because our brains are just working harder than they ever have before. So yes, what are some suggestions? What might we do as you know, as teachers, as people, as parents, as students, community members? So, you know, we, we could talk about self-care and, and we may or may not want to use that word. So we could talk about well-being or we could just talk about, you know, finding pleasure. Or, I mean, there are lots of ways to talk about it. But I think ultimately, really, it's about coming back to basics and thinking like we, we are basically mammals. We are, we are hardwired for our connection. And we need to just take care of the basics, which means like, how are we attending to our sleep hygiene, right? What are you doing in the hour before you go to bed? What time are you going to bed? What time are you waking up, right? Like, how are you, when was the last time you had caffeine, right? Like things about just, you know, how, how am I taking care of my sleep, right? Because I think stress affects the way, you know, how sleep goes. I know I certainly have been not, not, I certainly have not been sleeping well since COVID. Like I have to, I really have to work on it. So sleep, eating, right? We all know what we should and should not be eating. The first couple of months of COVID, I just went out and bought like all the boxes of Oreos. Like I was like, I need comfort food, Oreos. We're just going to go for it. And so now I'm really paying attention a little bit more to being the, how much sugar I have in my diet and how much, you know, do I have enough protein and vegetables? And so all the things we know about eating, sleep, eating, and then movement, right? Like specific, particularly movement, because what are we doing? We're sitting in front of screens, right? And the gyms are closed or I think they're open, but like the, I go to, I usually go to hot yoga and I don't really want to go to a hot yoga class right now. So yes, right? Like all those three things, um, really thinking about how do we want to tend to our basic needs and be thoughtful about it. And I think one thing I'm inferring from what you're saying is we probably need to be a little more intentional if we're really tending to those basic needs. Well, I, I, would, I would say that we have this amazing opportunity to slow down a little bit, right? Like life has actually slowed down a little bit. Mm-hmm. There's not as, there aren't as many things going on to like distract us or to fill up our days. And so I would offer that this is an opportunity to slow down, to make a plan, to think, like you said, to be intentional, but to make a little plan for ourselves. Like how, what am I going to do to take care of myself? And, and know that like some days will be great and some days will like may not be great. That's okay too. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting because I'm thinking about you know taking care of those basic needs should counteract some of the things that are happening with our nervous system and that feeling of being maxed out and it's harder to make decisions and there's a lot of second guessing and even it feels like sometimes you know reaching out to others can be challenging you mentioned you know that we're mammals and we're hardwired for connection and so thinking about our relationships sleep movement, our nutrition, but how do we do it? You said like, you make a plan for ourselves. What else do we need to kind of consider in that, in that realm? 
I think it's about baby steps, right? So this isn't about, you know, living on the junk food diet and then suddenly going, going whole 30 or clean eating or whatever. Like it's about little baby steps. So you might mm-hmm. say like for the next three days, I'm going to see what happens if I don't have sugar. Right. Or like, I mean, it's just, it's little baby steps. Like maybe all I need to do is put on my socks and my running shoes and walk around the block. Like it's not, it, it's not about, what do I want to say? It's, it is about finding really small doable things that don't add more stress, right? Like, mm-hmm. so if we mm-hmm. are super stressed and again, for people who are teaching online and like their kids are home and they're trying to manage their kids, they don't have any extra space, right? They're completely full. And so then it's, okay, so when I'm making, when I'm making my shopping list, I'm going to make sure that I add two vegetables that I might not normally add. Mm-hmm. Right. Just put the broccoli and the cauliflower on the list and get them and <laughs> figure out, you know, figure out something to make. Like, but I'm serious. Like it doesn't, have, let's not make it a big deal. I mean, I think that's the other yeah. thing. We don't, we don't want to create more stress by taking care of ourselves so that we can counteract the stress. Like that's, that's not it. <laughs> right. And that's what I was just thinking about. I mean, even when you mentioned, you know, like some of the decisions we have to make, like I love going to the gym. You mentioned that you love going to hot yoga and you know, sometimes I feel almost paralyzed by the simple day-to-day decisions and also the really big decisions. So of course, there are a lot of listeners in our, in our audience who might be parents or have young children within their community that they care about. And I think everyone is, is kind of feeling sometimes this decision-making paralysis. And so I really l- appreciate how you said like our self-care, if we want to use that term, or taking care of ourselves shouldn't be another set of really hard decisions. No. <laughs> right? Because, you know, let's talk a little bit about decisions because I think that's another piece of this, this fatigue. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, right? So every, like, is this play date, does this play date make sense? Does this not make sense? Do we, are we going to be outside with masks or are we just going to be outside six feet apart? Like, I feel like every time I walk out of the house, it's a, it's this question of like, what makes sense right now? Mm-hmm. Right. And so, and then, and then if I don't go out of the house, it's like, oh my God, I'm going stir crazy. So it's this, I think what you said is true. Like the decision making at this point, right? Like today, I think I was supposed to give the school district an answer on whether my kid is going to go back in person or not. Right. But I don't even have all the information. So, so I'm trying to make a dis- I know I need to make a decision so they can make a decision, but they can't make a decision until I'm like, it's this chicken and egg thing. And, and I feel like that's just one example of, of the kind of decisions that we're all being asked to make. Mm-hmm, absolutely. So, you know, thinking about making those decisions and really trying this, like this idea of stress reduction and giving ourselves really literally more energy. We're just trying to put more gas in the tank. If we're making these decisions every time we step out the door, or if we're in our classroom and we're a teacher and we're making decisions about every move we're either making in our virtual classroom or our in-person classroom, I'm wondering about how do we make those decisions and then move on or be okay with that? Yes. So this is a really big thing because, again, there's, there's a lot of uncertainty right now. That uncertainty, sometimes we call it like a feeling of groundlessness, like there's actually nothing holding us up. We're sort of in free fall. 
And that, again, sends our nervous system into high alert, right? So then we have all the all the stress hormones going through our bodies. And then someone's like, okay, big decision. Are you going to hang out with your family or are you going to not hang out with your family, right? And you're like, oh, and, and, and not only that, but it's all about relationship, right? Like, these are people I love who I want to connect with. And so my advice is, and like, is that you can really only make the best decision in the moment, right? And and so given what I know in this moment, what is the best decision? And then, you know, then, then try not to second guess yourself, mm. right? Because I think that's the thing. Like we can we can sort of, you know, two days later, we can look back and go, well, if I'd known and like this and that, like, but that's not really helpful because it's already passed and it's done and we... And so I think when you, for myself, when I give myself permission to sort of say, like, in this moment, this is the best decision that I can make. This is what feels like the right decision right now. And then knowing that, like, down the line, if it's something different, then I'm just going to have to live with this as the decision I made. Right? So, wow. So I'm thinking on so many different levels about this idea of quarantine fatigue and ways to, we're really, you know, talking globally right now Mm -hmm. to kind of counteract that, taking really good care of our bodies. We know what the basics are and we just need to tend to them. The other piece I think we mentioned, and maybe we'll get into a little bit more later in our talk, is this idea of screen time and just recognizing the impact that's having on our bodies and our energy levels. And then And our kids. So just to say, like, you know, my kid gets, she's online for four and a half hours every day. And so at the end of the day, like, you know, it it takes a little time to sort of reconnect in like a more human level, right? Like we're all having like a little bit of, a little bit of gentleness and grace. And recognizing that that is making us tired. Exhausted. Our partners, our children, our coworkers, our neighbors. And then finally, this idea around being bombarded with constant decisions that we don't necessarily have great answers for, and we might not feel confident in making those, expend the energy on making the decision the best that you can, and then be okay with it. Because the information that's always coming in, we could second guess and second guess and second guess, but then that's just going to deplete our energy level even more. Exactly. exactly. Well, and it just, it depletes our energy. It um it actually continues sort of a stress loop, mm. right? So then we get, what, the way I understand it is that we sort of get caught up in our thoughts about what we should have done. I should have done this. I should have done that. And then on top of that, then if you should have done something else, then, oh, I probably should have a little guilt about the fact that I didn't do that. So now I'm feeling guilty. And now I feel bad because not only did I not do it, but now I feel guilty that I didn't do it. Like, and it Uh-oh. just kind of keeps going. Instead of being like, in that moment, that was the best thing I could do. And now I'm in a new moment. And if I have the same, if I'm faced with the same thing again, maybe I'll make a different, a different decision. But it doesn't, it's not helpful. And everything that we've talked about so far this today also will translate right into our classrooms and our support for students. And if we're school leaders, our support for teachers and of course for parents. But so let's, let's, let's jump right into like a school setting. Mm -hmm. Um, We know that there are as many different configurations for education right now as really there are schools in our community, in our state, and in our country. 
Um, you talk to anybody and their kids are on a different system or a different, you know, there's, there's hybrid, there's complete remote. There's uh, some kids are hundred percent in person. Social distancing looks different maybe from one school to the next, just depending on the guidelines in your own community. But one thing we know is that we can't keep doing what we've always done and nothing looks the same as it did last winter. Yeah. So so what are you thinking um, for teachers and and maintaining that teaching identity and, and dealing with that transition and change? That's such a great question. I th- what I'm noticing is that for some teachers, you know, like teaching in person, you have a lot of control of what goes on in your classroom. Mm-hmm. And, and you have your rituals and routines. And, and folks who are teaching online right now who are 100% remote sort of are figuring that out in the remote sphere. And so those are sort of the two, like you have those two ends of the continuum, all remote or all in person. Mm -hmm. And then you have all the different hybrid versions in the middle, right? Like I'm in school for two days, I'm home for, there's just all sorts of different things going on. So I think for teachers, there's one thing is figuring out what you do have control over and what you don't have control over, right? And so again, if we're talking about what creates stress, trying to control the things you don't really have control over is is a sure recipe for upping your stress and making yourself a little nuts. So that's the first thing. I um, thinking about your usual rituals and routines. So even even if you are in person full time, the rituals and the energy that we use for our rituals and routines and what normally ha- like again, I feel like as adults and also as students. Like our nervous systems don't have the bandwidth that we normally have for big amounts of information. And so it's about slowing everything down. It's really about getting clear about what your priorities are. I think that's kind of huge, like figuring out, um, you know, I had a conversation with one of my teachers and I was like, okay, so here, here are all the rituals that you normally do, right? And, and her frustration on not being able to like, get them all done or be where she wants to be. And so the conversation is really, well, what if we like cut them in half? Like what, what half are like mm. really focus on and what half could you like, you'll get to them, but just not in your normal, like which ones can wait. And then from that half, actually cut that in half again and think like a quarter of what you normally do. Like, let's see what we can do with just that. And that requires a lot of prioritizing and thinking about, where you want to spend your energy. Absolutely. And we think about, you know, September is generally the time when classrooms and schools and systems are establishing those rituals and routines. And so it sounds like, you know, that we're a couple weeks in, in most settings, really paring those down, really prioritizing. I also know, though, as we head into October, there is a lot of pressure around curriculum and assessment. And, you know, I've been working with some teachers as well, and one of their concerns is planning, coverage, administering assessments, um, feeling like they don't have enough time in the day or, you know, with contact time, but then also in the rest of their day to create, implement, plan, refine. So what are you thinking in terms of curriculum and assessment right now? 
Same thing. So same as rituals. It's really about getting clear on what the priorities are. Mm -hmm. Um, And maybe in the past, you know, what, what everybody had to know was sort of a big bucket and it was, there was a smaller, like nice to know bucket and a smaller, like, you know, for the kids who really want to figure it out. But I think we have to get really clear and clear. You know, I, I'm never about teaching to the test, right? Like that's not, that's not a pedagogical move, period. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And I think it's about being really thoughtful because sort of all the things we do around the content, like normally to like fill our time and, and create rich experiences. Again, like our nervous systems can really only take so regardless of where we are, like kids can only take in so much. Their life, they're really, their lives are still disrupted and still not normal. And, and so there, there is sort of a heightened sense of stress, which makes it harder for information to come in. Like, and, and so when we're stressed, we act like we actually can't access that. One of the things that happens is, right, like we're in a, we're, our bodies are sort of primed to keep our, ourselves safe, right? The whole fight or flight or freeze thing. And so remembering new information does, is no longer a priority. And so even for kids where that's like, they're having like a little bit of that, it just becomes harder to absorb new information. So for teachers, it means being really thoughtful about if, if, the, if the window for accepting new information is fairly small, or at least smaller than it normally is, let's just say that, how, what, what are the things that you really want to make sure that you, that, that kids walk away with at the end of the day, at the end of the week, at the, like, just getting, I mean, I think we all are trying to use backward design. And I think it, it, but it's helpful to go and um, to look at our backward design and say, so really at the end of this, what's important that kids walk away with? And so then to kind of add on to that and kind of get down into like the nitty gritty of pedagogy, prioritizing doesn't mean dumbing down or dropping that cognitive load. Like I'm thinking about engagement and I'm thinking about emotional engagement and cognitive engagement and behavioral engagement. And if I cut down too much, I feel like I might have behavioral engagement where kids are being super compliant, which is maybe what we saw last spring and I'm getting things done. So I know that's, you know, it's a, another way to think about kind of curriculum and content right now, but it is, what's the emotional hook? Why would I want to learn this? And then what's the cognitive? How can I think about this in a way that gets my brain going? But you said, but keeping in mind that the window might be a little smaller. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. That really makes sense. So let's talk some more about students, because I think that we just, you know, kind of talked about this consideration for teachers in terms of prioritizing and and recognizing that there's going to be less. There just is. And that obviously will translate into students and their experience. But what else can happen in a school setting at this time, regardless of the setting, that can really support students as learners and thinkers? Yeah, so I was talking with a friend of mine who has taught remote at the university level for many, many years. And I was like, so like, what are your top three things? Like, what should I know about teaching remote that I might not know as a classroom teacher? And one of the thing, and the thing that she said that really stuck with me is this idea that 
how you allocate your time really shifts. So if normally we think about, you know, 25% of our time is on sort of the pedagogy and the presentation and 25% of the time is on relationships and really we can spend 50% of our time on content, right? It, when we're in person and, and maybe that shifts around a little bit, but that given where we are right now and given how, given what happens when we're all experiencing chronic, chronic stress, we want to shift and really put 50% of our energy on relationships. Mm. And it means a lot more one-on-one than probably any of us have ever done before, right? So if you're remote, it's even more urgent to connect with your kids one-on-one so that kids can actually feel seen and heard and know that somebody thinks that their opinion is important, right? I feel mm. like, you know, I'm thinking back to being in Chris Tavani's class, and that was always the most amazing thing, that every student in that class felt like their opinion was really important and wanted to share it and be part of the conversation. And so it's how do we create that in a remote space or, or a hybrid space or a regular classroom? But I think given the, the bigger context and where we all are with our quarantine fatigue, it becomes even more important. Wow. So we're still getting back to that innate need to connect, that connection is critical. And, you know, it's interesting. Uh, yesterday, we published a podcast with Jennifer Engelbretson, and she talked about how every kid needs to be seen. Every kid deserves to be seen. And, you know, her kind of area of expertise, if you will, is, is formative assessment. And she's in a 100% remote environment, but she has created some systems and structures, like you said, the rituals and routines with exit tickets and then being able to generate an email back to students. Or even in her Zooms, she sets up an individual breakout room for every student during work time so she can pop in and confer one-on-one in a private space. So she That's has. awesome. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. So everyone's in their own Zoom and she said, I trust you. You have 20 minutes to work through these, this, you know, she's a math teacher, this problem set, and I'll be coming in to confer. And just like she would in her classroom, she keeps track of who she's met with and on which days and what they talked about. And it's just giving her that it's, she said it's brief and it stinks because she can't just walk around and tap someone on the shoulder and look over their paper and look them in the eye and, you know, really like, how was your day? You know, how are you doing? But it is giving her opportunities to have these one-on-one private concurring conversations in a remote environment. That That's brilliant. I mean, it's really brilliant. And again, like if, I guess I would say like if one on, if, if having a Zoom room for each kid feels overwhelming, mm-hmm. even having three Zoom rooms where you could sort of check in with like, hey, how's it going in this room? What are you guys doing? Like, you know, in something like math where it's okay for kids to be talking to each other about how they're figuring things out and they need that space to have conversations. I, I worry a lot about um, about the kind of conversations that kids are having when they're 100% remote and all the work that we did in the past around accountable talk and, right. and how to have like deep, meaningful conversations. And now it's like, yeah, I'll, you know, anyway, yes, I, w- I worry about that. So it's lovely to hear that there are teachers who are being really innovative and thinking about ways to use the technology to try to recreate that. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit more about technology before we wrap up today. I think that there's probably some other suggestions or some other trends and noticings um, in terms of particularly students who are working in a remote or a hybrid space. What else are we figuring out? 
Well, you know, it goes back to what at the beginning, we talked a little bit about knowing what you have control over and what you don't have control over. Mm-hmm. And so I think one of the big pieces to really get clear as a teacher is we really don't have control of what's going on in people's homes. We just don't. I mean, that's, and, and it's, I think it's, for some of us, it's harder than others, but it's, that's just the truth of it. And so if that's true, then what we were just talking about, these one-on-one connections becomes even more important, mm-hmm. right? So if we don't have that connection with the kids, it's hard for the kids to have any agency or any buy-in to want to show up and participate in the ways that we hope they're going to show up. Mm. So those things sort of go together. Um, yeah, I think, I think, you know, being pretty, like my, my go-to words right now are really grace and gentleness, right? Whichever word works for you, but like grace, gentleness, like people, we were, everyone's doing the best that they can. I feel like people are working so hard. Parents are working so hard. Everyone's really trying to figure this out. And many of us are just exhausted. And we talked about decision fatigue. Like, it's just there's sort of like this big pile of one thing on top of another on top of another. And then it's like, okay, show up and be your best self. And it's like, whoa, this is this is my best self. This is all I've got left, right? So having a little bit of gentleness and grace with ourselves, with the people in front of us, sort of the bigger context, like out in our community, in, in our neighborhoods, what's happening around us. It's just, we're all, we're all doing, we're all really working hard to keep it all together. So Andre, you know, if we think about what you said at the beginning of our conversation today, that we're all having great days, we're all having really good days. And then we're all having days that are really hard or even a handful of days that are hard. And so our conversation today, I think, has just really kind of, I think, normalized some of the chaos and feelings and fatigue that some of us might be feeling. And you've also offered some really helpful and doable suggestions. I mean, I heard a lot about prioritizing. Prioritizing is huge. I mean, it's. I think it's huge in any year as a teacher, there's too much to do. And this year... This year, it's like, oh my gosh, like that was a breeze, right? Like that feels like totally doable compared to what they're asking us to do right now. Yeah. Yeah, So the idea about prioritization and human connection, taking care of ourselves physically. In small, small ways, right? Like really small little things. Mm -hmm. One extra vegetable, like at a meal, just walk around the block, right? Like it doesn't have to be a big deal. Like, Go to bed half an hour earlier if that helps. Whatever, like little things. I think I'm, I'm a big fan of little things. They're the little steps. Yes. So as we wrap up, is there anything else that you would like to share? Or is there anything else you'd like to leave us with today? Um, I, I love that, that you sort of pointed out the normalizing of sort of the emotional seesaw that many of us are on, right? So many of us are experiencing moments of, hey, I've got this and moments of um, this is really hard or why do, I feel, why do I feel so down, right? And so one is just knowing that like it is totally normal. Two is knowing that it's not just you. And three is when you, you know, if is a reminder to reach out, right? Like to, to reach out to others, to connect with others, um, 
and and don't 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 do this by yourself just because we're isolated or we're in our own homes like it's really important to connect with others right now andra thank you so much michelle thanks so much for having me it's so much fun i can't believe like the time has gone by so quickly it goes by so quickly. And so we might have to have a part three. We'll check in in another couple of months and see how everyone's doing and that sounds good. learn some more from you about what you're noticing and, and your suggestions for us. Thank you, Thank Andrea. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you for joining us today. We hope our time together provided inspiration and information. I would like to thank our sponsor, Chalkbeat. In addition to reporting on current events in education, Chalkbeat has a jobs board. So if you're looking for your next career opportunity, check it out. You'll find teaching, leadership, tech, and nonprofit education jobs. Or if you're looking to recruit for open positions, consider posting on the Chalkbeat jobs board. You'll be connecting with people who are up to date on the latest education news and trends. Posting start at just $149 per month. In closing, PEBC is headquartered in Denver, Colorado, and works both locally and nationally to cultivate agency, equity, and understanding, as described in Phenomenal Teaching by Wendy Ward-Hoffer. We now provide customized, virtual, and on-site professional development, coaching, institutes, and courses. We also prepare new teachers via the PEBC Teacher Residency Program. Check us out at pebc.org.